Hello guys, what is going on? I hope you were enjoying the background music that I got picked out for this. Uh, I'm just chilling again. And, uh, yeah. So, if you're watching, why not chill with me? I guess you're not watching, I guess you're just listening. It's a podcast, but yeah. For those of y'all who are listening, thanks for chilling with me. Now let's get to the chilling. It's always a nice thing. We have had enough air. to the chill spot and watch some YouTube videos. So, uh, let's do that. Today, I'm going to be watching a dude called Distant Signals. Good friend of mine. Go subscribe to him on YouTube. Check him out. Tell him that Zion sent you. But, uh, yeah. Good dude. He's a rail fan as well. Does uh, rail fanning, photography, and videos of that nature. So, we're going to do that. Coke, don't disappoint. Hey Google, play distant signals videos on YouTube. Playing distant signals videos on YouTube. Seeing for the past 50, 60 years, where you'd see 
three, four, or five locomotives at the head end of the, of the train lashed up with those cables at the front and back of uh, locomotives. It's not the same as that uh, at all. This is a totally different animal, all radio remote control. And that's why they're able to put these things in the middle of a train or way back on the end of a train and still have complete now, control. Now, after the video, we'll talk operation. about it. And um, in this video, you're going to see quite a few of them. Some of them are turned forwards, some of them turn backwards. They don't care which way they run. They still do the same amount of uh, pulling. Now, uh, we didn't get a chance to uh, go on our annual Jacksonville Rail Fan Weekend this year that we have every winter in February because of COVID. But uh, after we got our vaccine, we uh, made a special trip up there. We kind of did our own private Jacksonville Rail Fan Weekend uh, once in April and then again in May and managed to get some of this distributed power stuff. So let's take a look and see exactly what distributed power is and how it helps railroads. As most of you know by now, I like to get started early, way before the sun, copying the mail on the radio, as we used to say. It's a crisp morning in May, the steam rising off the warm ponds into the cooler air around Stark. Arriving in Jacksonville, I swing into North Edgewood Drive, just north of the Amtrak station. I'm on the hunt for DP units, but just like any rail fan, I'll take whatever comes. thing that comes is a local a725 light engine moves over here on the a-line are usually jobs headed to or from the north entrance of the duval intermodal ramp three weeks earlier i was right here when i heard a track inspector coming south toward me turned out it was a high rail truck leading a track spraying rig plant life is constantly trying to grow around railroad tracks so the roadbed must be periodically sprayed with herbicide I didn't want to be among the targeted species, so I backed up about 30 feet. the short trip up to Densmore Connection, where the morning intermodals come in on the A-Line. Looking south from the Trout River Road Crossing, there was good news. The Densmore turnout was bent toward the yard. Someone was lined to come in. And it wasn't long before a headlight appeared out of the north. Rolling into its Jacksonville destination was QO31, container and trailer traffic out of North Bergen, New Jersey, with some picked up along the way in Baltimore and Savannah. There are no double-stacked containers on this train. The Howard Street Tunnel in Baltimore is still 18 inches too low for it. But work on that project is finally beginning. The Port of Baltimore badly wants intermodal trains to serve its docks. Meanwhile, CSX has made this single-level train pay off by making it much longer. Distributed power has enabled that. The objective of DP is to run longer trains more efficiently and easily through better management of in-train forces. 
Remember what a normal train is. A power source at the head end, pulling a payload that's all behind it. The more cars back there, the more stress on those couplers in the first third of the train. Put a locomotive back there in the middle, and you've effectively relieved some of that stress on the cars ahead of and right behind it. DP engines run as remotes and are radio controlled. They can be set up to mimic the commands of the lead engine with software accounting for the tonnage and length of the cars in front of and behind them, following closely what the engineer in the lead locomotive does. It's pretty amazing stuff. DP units can also be run separately. Some crews call this putting up the fence because the control screen will show a dividing line between lead and remote engines. When in separate operation, the engineer gains new control of the throttle and dynamic braking on the remote. This is very helpful in Preston is great. In this case, he's going to be able to try to find out how to get the rest of the train that's a CB radio. That's the 10, Galaxy DX2547. Okay, we'll get base. the rest of this up later. Right now, we got a hot rail on track two. It's Amtrak 91 coming into its Jack Station stop. This is a hazard you must be careful of in double-track territory. You're watching one train while another sneaks up on you on the other track. You got a 9-8-1, One of the problems brought on by these giant trains happens at terminals. The head end has now reached a switch that must be lined to let him continue on in. The conductor has got to get out and line that switch, then get back aboard. Meanwhile, he's still got half a mile of his bottom end hanging out there, blocking Trout River Road. I broke off of this and drove down to the north end of CSX's Moncrief Yard. It was busy here. Three separate jobs were on the move. Shuffling tracks, working their way to their assigned jobs for the day. Norfolk Southern was busy too, one switcher in the yard and another making a transfer delivery to CSX. also nice to see one of the MP15 AC switchers they have up here. CSX doesn't use these in the yards in Tampa or Winston, so those of us down in tropical Florida don't see them very often. On the dispatcher channel, I pick up a conversation in which A796 was getting block authority down the Kingsland sub. This is the XJ and SW line that runs from the A line at Grand Junction to the port area, then turns north on the XSAL main to Bush and Yulee. I wanted to catch this move because he would have to cross the Trout River drawbridge. I got there in about 10 minutes and found the draw span still open, so I hadn't missed the train. In the mornings, this is a pretty nice shot. The vantage is from the old US-17 bridge across the Trout River. Now it's a popular fishing pier. When the tide is running, anglers catch redfish, catfish, 
and of course speckled trout. It is the Trout River. While I was watching the fishing, the bridge started closing. It's under the control of the bridge tender, but he's not here. He's some miles away down at the McGirt's Creek draw south of town. CSX has consolidated the jobs through the use of cameras and remote control. And down came A-796. This job originates at Bush Yard a few miles north of here and works the interchange yard at Ewling. These cars are likely off the First Coast Railroad, which runs from Ewley to Bernandina and caters to the pulp and container board mills on that island. loaded with finished craft paper or container board paper. That's cardboard to you and me. The next action I hear is back down in town on the SP line. 0755 was coming out of Duval Ramp, so I beelined it to a place I knew, Edgewood Avenue at the corner of Beaver Street. The West Jacks Yard is behind me and Carnegie Siding is ahead. 755 was in the siding clearly waiting on someone. By the time I realized what was happening, Q032 was blowing for the Edgewood Crossing, right behind me. This is another lesson in trackside safety. Always be alert to what's happening behind you. Keeping back from the tracks is the best way to stay safe. Q032 is running engines light to Duval Yard. He's headed there to pick up his outbound train. When Q032 passes, 0755 gets the green light to head on north. This is a yard-to-yard -yard transfer job. He brings cars from Duval to the FEC's Bowden Yard. containers came in on Q031, the train we saw earlier at Densmore. After that, I keep heading west on Beaver Street and the SP line to Duval Connection. This is the southern entrance to the Duval Intermodal Ramp. It's a busy place this morning. The crossing signals on Beaver Street light up for Q143, coming out and headed around to Moncrief Yard. The horn sounds like a Dash 8 era GE locomotive. And voila! 110 is actually an AC44CW, not technically a Dash 8, but it was built in that era, and the horns sound the same. CSX has been running a bunch of these lately. comes out of North Baltimore, Ohio to Jacksonville. I'm not sure where this cut is headed.
it's lunchtime, and since I didn't eat any breakfast, I pulled into Gators Barbecue. This is on Beaver Street at Cahoon Road. The gravel parking lot is already filling up at 11.30 on this Saturday morning. The place is not fancy, but the food is good. I recommend the ribs, but I'm not having barbecue today. Opting instead for the fried shrimp. Gators has a ton of seafood on their menu, and this was really good. It and the iced tea, 12 bucks. A little farther west on the SP line is Halsema. On the trip three weeks earlier, I was here scouting out some new photo spots. This is the Tallahassee line toward Baldwin. The coastal plain around Jacksonville feels pretty flat and featureless until you look down the track with a telephoto lens. The compressed shot quickly reveals a valley as Q045 rolls downhill toward McGirt's Creek. But with a short 2,000 foot consist and two big engines pulling, I doubt if that engineer even felt that little dip at the creek. Q045 is nightly intermodal traffic for Tampa. We'll get back up to the yard and watch one of those giants get ready for departure right after this. lunch, I drove back around to Densmore Connection at Old Kings Road, where Q026 was doubling his train for departure. From this crossing, it's almost a mile back to the throat of Duval Yard, but that's not enough room for this train anymore. He will double, then triple to get this consist assembled. It will take more than an hour. For much of that time, he will have Old Kings Road blocked. But there are several routes out of the neighborhood, and residents have learned how to get around it. Finally, at 14.30, Q026 is solid and departing Jacksonville, with two engines leading and one at mid-train DP. Distributed power, most likely Wabtec's low-control remote system on these engines, helps make these two-mile-long beasts possible by minimizing slack runout and bunching en route. A single change in throttle notch on a train powered only on the head end can result in a severe slack-action wave. DP maintains a much better level of slack action control throughout the train. When you have motive power at mid-train, that also serves as another air compressor. The brakes respond more quickly and efficiently. Distributed power not only improves train handling, it also improves fuel economy and reduces rail wear. In curves, the rear of a heavy train is resisting the head-end power by trying to crawl inside the curve wheels grind on the inside rail and speed its wear. If those cars are behind distributed power at mid-train, the drag factor is greatly reduced and so is wear on the rail. I got through all that technical gab and Q026 is still coming out of Duval Yard. I heard over the radio that the conductor, over two miles back there, would catch a ride and meet the head end out there on the main line. That meant that 26 would have to slow down to at least walking speed at the pickup point, giving me time to leapfrog into Callahan. 
11 and a half miles north of Densmore is Callahan Junction. This is where the Seaboard's ex-Florida Railroad crossed the Atlantic coastline, Maine. The mileposts are a little confusing here because of the historic predecessor roads. While the coastline keeps its Richmond to Tampa milepost figure, A624, the Seaboard side is only a 20 here. When the SAL pieced itself together in the early 1900s, its main line came in from the north through Jacksonville. To bypass the growing congestion in Jacksonville in the 1920s, SAL built the Gross Cutoff, from Gross on the SAL Main down to Callahan, abandoning the Callahan-Uli line in the mid-1950s. The line was renamed the Gross Subdivision, and mileposts reflected the branch line status, starting with SM605 at Gross and counting upward as it went south to SM639 at Baldwin. Preferring the A-Line for its main into Florida, CSX in 1985 abandoned most of the Savannah-Uli segment of the S-Line, as well as the Gross Cutoff. Sometime around the 1967 SAL-ACL merger, the newly formed Seaboard Coastline renumbered the mileposts of the now Callahan Sub from zero at Baldwin to 20 at Callahan and 34 at Gross, counting upward as it went north, backward from all other parts of the system. And that's all I know about that. I've been here about 30 minutes when QO26 started calling the signals approaching Callahan. I put a signal on South Callahan, QO26, 615, After solving some PTC problems, he's rolling good now. piggyback service when it was first invented. A lot of truck trailers moving together by rail. That DP unit is not idling anymore. He's running wide open, pulling his part at QO26. DPs are placed in the train according to the tonnage behind them. 38 wells up front, and 127 behind the DPU. Today's QO26 is largely empty, at least on the bottom, 11,897 feet. Q456, an EMD ST70AH in the lead. CSX acquired 10 of these in 2019.
while the piggyback train was passing, Q456 was waiting a mile to the south on the Callahan sub. It's not clear why he had to wait almost an hour down here for 26 to clear. This is all double-track territory. It seems like the dispatcher could have run both trains all the way to the Jessup sub at least. But there was clearly some factor preventing it that I didn't know about. And that's why I'm not the train dispatcher. Q456 is an Orlando to Waycross daily mixed freight. And even though it's 100 feet longer than the intermodal that just passed, there's no DP on this train today. Likely because of it being mostly empty and a relatively short run. If you do any rail fanning at Callahan, bring your ear protection. Okay, well I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thank y'all for chilling with me.